welcome to Series 3 of Autism in Conversation with Auticon, a podcast from Auticon, a global IT consultancy whose consultants are all autistic. This series is designed to help raise greater understanding and appreciation of autism through fascinating conversations with inspirational guests. Hosted by me, Carrie Grant, each episode will feature fantastic guests from all walks of life who share a passion for making the world more inclusive. We'll be talking about the many benefits of hiring neurodivergent talent through to some of the more common challenges faced by autistic adults navigating the workplace, plus much, much more. All of my four children are neurodivergent, yay! So this is a subject very close to my heart. I'm really looking forward to facilitating some great conversations about autism and hopefully learning some new things along the way. I hope you enjoy it too. Hello and a very warm welcome to the latest episode of Autism in Conversation with Auticon. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the connection between autism and burnout. I'm really excited to be talking about this, actually. Now, research tells us that those with a diagnosis of autism are at an increased risk of some mental health conditions. This means that, especially in the workplace, attention needs to be paid to ensure employees do not become overloaded or struggle with autistic burnout. In this episode, we'll hear from those who've had first-hand experience of burnout or those who live alongside work, alongside experienced friends, uh, autistic friends with burnout. Plus, we'll also be talking about what can be done to improve things to help avoid it happening in the future or avoid it happening in the first place, midway point, wherever people are at on, on their experience of burnout um, because obviously you can be along a whole journey. Now, my guests today include Helen Ellis, Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Coordinator at the National Autistic Society, Lee Hutchison, who's a job coach at Auticon, and Chris Lever, an IT consultant at Auticon. Welcome, everybody. So thank you so much uh, for joining me to talk about the subject. It's an incredibly important one. And I hope by the end of this session that people uh, who are listening will be able to take away some helpful insights and advice. I'm going to come to you first, Helen, uh, to give us a, a kickoff with the conversation. You work at the National Autistic Society and you're also autistic yourself. Can you explain to our listeners what it means when we talk about autistic burnout? Absolutely. So um, burnout as a concept was first sort of talked about in the 70s by an American psychologist. And he defined it as becoming exhausted by making excessive demands on energy, strength or resources. So when we're talking about autistic burnout, it's all of those demands that we're constantly being faced with being out in public, the sensory overload, trying to interpret other people's intentions. And it's all of those sort of adding up to being far too much for us to be able to cope with. Uh, this tends to go hand in hand with having trouble around sleeping, being able to properly process our own thoughts, which then increase that decline into burnout because we have even less energy to start with, yes. but we're increasing the demands on, on our energy resources. And this quite often comes through in the workplace as someone being very, very tired all the time, someone being very fed up and cynical about things. We get a lot more annoyed by things, a lot less tolerant of other people putting demands on us. And we end up starting to get this feeling of detachment and we feel very ineffective, like nothing we do will be good enough. And that leads to this, this state of burnout which can quite often result in people just walking away from things, things they used to love and, and really enjoy, 
because they just don't feel it's worth it anymore. So it doesn't necessarily end up with an explosion. It can just be walking away. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's actually less likely to be an explosion and more likely to be that damp, spluttering squib of a candle being extinguished because someone just goes, I just don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to go away. I'm going to take me time. I'm going to try to get back to being the person I used to be because I'm not happy anymore. I'm not enjoying the things I used to. Yeah, that's such a great uh, description. And before we move on to the wider conversation, do you know how long it that, that kind of process takes? Like I'm thinking about someone that might, we're talking about work here, people mm-hmm. that might walk away from a job and just go, that's it, I just can't take that pressure anymore, it's too much. How long is it before they get back on their feet again? I guess that's how long is a piece of string. Oh, but. Some of it can depend on how long the descent into burnout was. So if it's been a very quick thing where a lot of things have gone wrong successively, sure. sometimes it's just a short healing break you need. But if it's a situation where things have been getting worse and worse over a number of years, it can equally be a number of years before you really feel mentally strong enough again to put yourself back in that kind of risky situation. And a lot of people end up never returning to that original point and instead go, actually, I'm just going to change my life entirely. I'm I'm going to go be self-employed. I'm going to go do part-time work. I'm going to find a way to change something about my life so I get more energy input from the things that make me happy than I'm expending energy on with all these demands made of me. Helen, you just described that so well. Thank you so much. Uh, let's go over to Chris. Um, now, y- you've experienced burnout, autistic burnout. Uh, what was your job role at the time? What was happening in life at the time that, that kind of drove this to happen? It, it was very interesting listening to Helen speak. So much of what she said speaks to my experience. Um, I have been working now for 30 years the best part of, but I've only had an autism diagnosis for the last two and a half. So a lot of my career, I didn't know that I was, I didn't know that I was autistic. Yeah. During that time, I've had a wide variety of roles. I've been a fund manager, managing 150 million pounds worth of money for other people. I've worked in IT, mainly with financial organizations, but in very pressurized environments. Do you think those pressurised environments um, are a cause for an autistic person to gradually, uh, as Helen said, descend, I thought was quite an interesting word, you know, that kind of, oh my gosh, this is creeping up on me and I'm at the point now where I can't actually stop it. Did you experience that? Yes. Uh, I I seem to have chosen very pressurised environments. Which sometimes, um, sometimes autistic people are very good in those pressurised environments as well, though, right? I'm getting much better at it, yes. <laughs> we'll come on to it. Yeah. But also just being out in public and speaking with people, there's an awful lot of other processing that goes on in my head while I'm having a conversation. What does somebody mean when they use words? I use language very precisely, but lots of other people don't. And so it's all these other background tasks that are running in my head all the time that nobody else sees that contributes to those excessive demands that Helen was describing. And what did autistic, if you don't mind me, uh, if you don't mind me asking, what did autistic burnout look like for you? Did it mean you had to stop work or 
How how did it affect you? Sometimes it depends how early I I caught it. Uh, my CV is about eight pages in length because I've had so many different jobs that I and there are so many gaps between those roles where I've been putting myself back together again. Mm. I really hear that. Gosh, my, my heart goes out because I, I, I think there must be people that are, have faced that and are facing that situation right now. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, that's really helpful. Lee, now as a coach, you know, we've, we've heard so well from Helen giving an absolutely such a clear description and uh, and also from Chris there, you know, really opening up as to what burnout felt like and what the recovery in between and stuff. What can we do to ensure that burnout is limited or doesn't happen? Ideally, we don't want it happening at all. What what could change? I think for, for me as obviously a job coach, my role is to ensure that like what could be those potential triggers for burnout are addressed at the most earliest kind of possible stage so even before someone starts on a job for example you know putting things into place before we even reach that crisis stage you know for a consultant or an individual you kind of want to make sure that people are working in an environment where they don't feel that they need to mask in particular you know that's where people are working extremely hard to act in this like non-autistic way and anything other and, and being at something other than themselves and putting kind of that awareness and accommodations in place to kind of create a very supportive and understanding environment i mean helping to kind of manage the the day-to-day lives for autistic people is is important i mean it can be stressful living and obviously working in a world which is obviously largely not set up to accommodate autistic people day to day and that can obviously have a commutative effect you know think of commuting into work being at work in high pressured situations you know imagine having to go through that day to day then by the end of the week a month and beyond and that can obviously lead to kind of burnout for those really sustained periods of time so you know it's it's about putting an environment into place to allow people to to be themselves and to be to be accommodated in what can be quite easy ways at times but but lee isn't it also about the sort of flexibility i'm thinking in the workplace um i meet so many autistic people that will say you know one day i'm 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 able to do stuff and it's absolutely fine uh, and then the next day i'm not able to do those things that i was fine and that's one of the things they find so difficult to communicate uh, to the new neurotypical uh, world is just this sense that no two days are necessarily the same. Uh, and, and that, that of course, you know, anyone that's em- employing an autistic person is then saying, but you were fine with that yesterday. Why aren't you fine today? You know, exactly. uh, it does, it's not logical in that way. No, there is, there's often not that kind of through line. But I think having those kind of conversations in advance, like raising that awareness, as you, you highlighted there, can help make those kind of conversations kind of easier as opposed to someone feeling that they're going to be judged for coming in, you know, the next day and feeling, oh, I'm actually struggling today. And the reality is what might look on paper to someone, oh, they came in yesterday, they did really well. You know, again, that could have been them masking, that could have been them sort of struggling or having to really use their coping strategies to, to kind of get through, you know, even a good day. So, you know, I think very much that awareness is, is incredibly helpful and, and being understanding, you know, no two days are the same and, you know, there are good days and there are bad days, but what can be done on those bad days? You know, what adjustments can maybe be put into place? You know, flexible working, for example, or maybe starting later in the day. You know, there, there's loads of different things that can be done on a sort of an individual level when those those kind of more difficult days happen. 
Helen, we heard from Chris uh, about being in high-pressure jobs, choosing high-pressure jobs, because that's where, you know, Chris is clearly super gifted. But... If it means that our autistic people are then burning out, doesn't that? Is, how do we get that balance right? Because we want people to be in the jobs that are the best jobs for them, but but not at the cost of your own health. I mean, I think it's important to note here that burnout doesn't just come with high pressure jobs. Someone who is working part time in a supermarket can still experience burnout because of the pressures they're putting on themselves because they're having to cope with the sensory overload of that workplace every day, because they've got other stuff adding to those pressures in their lives. Um, You know, we're seeing more and more parents starting to talk about experiencing burnout because of the pressures on getting things right for their children. So it's it's not just reserved for those really high-pressure roles or the really stressful ones like working in the NHS or the armed forces where there are bit more aware of the risk of things like PTSD occurring. I think we need to approach burnout from an employment perspective of looking at employee well-being in general. What is wrong with calling in one day and saying, actually, I need a duvet day because I'm not performing my best today? Because those little breaks stop that decline into burnout. They give you a day back to, to boost your spirits, boost your reserves back up. And actually, I think we need, as a society, to be a lot more accepting of the fact that people need to take breaks. Yeah. Um, And it's something that we're not very good at recognising, really. Um, And I'm just thinking, like like for you, Chris, if you had, in those those jobs that you talked about earlier, if you had rung in and said, oh, I'd like a duvet day, how would that have been received by the companies that you were working with? Um... It, it would have varied. Some of them would have been very sceptical, very critical. Some of them would have said, yes, if that's what's best for you, then absolutely take the day. So that's that's interesting. Lee, are we getting better at hearing uh, our, our stuff? Actually, it's not just autistic people in this instance. There are plenty of people who need a duvet day as well. Are we getting better at understanding that? Or are we still saying, oh, these people are woke and they've got no, you know, this is just this generation or whatever, those kinds of negative stereotyping that we get? Or are we are we have are we becoming more compassionate as employees employers? I mean, it's it's so difficult to to speak to to an extent. I mean, in my my previous uh, role before I came to Autocon, I very much worked in sort of supported employment. You know, working with a range of small businesses, large organisations to put those types of adjustments or understanding in place. And you would get pushback from some of the most surprising people of like, oh no, we we can't allow that, or you know, even some minor adjustments. Oh no, we would need to speak to our HR or lawyer team about that before putting something like that into place. And you're like, well, actually, you know, these things are protected under the the Disability and um, Equalities Act. You know, the, these things are very common. You know, the the NHS can be be pretty good and understanding about things like that, for example. But then equally, you know, an, an institution, for example, where we would think that they would have the up to date awareness of legislation, aren't kind of like aware school. of that at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Absolutely, and and I think so often, and I know this is this is obviously not the workplace, but school. Like when you have a, a child who is refusing to go to school, and as a parent, you're torn between listening to your child's mental health needs and the attendance officer. You know, I, I think though that we any parent that's got a, a child that has refused to go to school will will understand my that tension that that that, that you feel every day of just 
trying to listen to everybody but obey the law. Um, and it feels like one law obliterates another law or, or supersedes another law. And, and that makes it very difficult because, you know, every, every, you know people want to, because the rule keepers are out there, aren't they? And, and we, you know, and we want them to be there because they're good. But, you know, sometimes if there isn't that compassion there. The problem I think you might find, I, I often find with, with rule keepers, perhaps, for example, would be that you would maybe sort of explain X person needs a duvet day. Well, if X person needs a duvet day, you know, that's an unfair advantage to that person. It's like, no, it's about a fair thing. And wouldn't we all kind of like the amount of times you discuss these sorts of accommodations and adjustment going, well, wouldn't we all benefit from having the odd duvet day or a mental health day, for example? And, you know, it's, it's normalizing those conversations where just now so many people still have an attitude of, well, I'm giving an unfair advantage to Chris because he's calling in asking for a mental health day. You know, then I'd have to offer everyone. It's like, well, maybe you should. Yes, maybe you should. And actually, some people would take them, some people wouldn't, I guess. And I think that's the point. Helen, how do people, I'm trying to think, you know, to offer hope, really, is there hope? Like, when if someone has got to that point where they've walked away from a job, they really feel frazzled. Um, how do they get back out of that? What What sort of hope is there for those guys? There's absolutely hope. Um, I think the really important thing when you've you've first walked away from something is about looking after yourself. And that's not necessarily following the advice that everyone will try and give you of, oh, go take a holiday, take a week away or something. No, no, you need to do what works for you. And that mean that might mean your special interest for, for two days straight, where you do nothing but build Lego figures or you watch the Marvel films in chronological order. or You just do something that works for your sense of joy and peace. And it's about trying I'm getting comfort <laughs> just from you speaking. <laughs> but it's, it's about finding what puts you back on an even keel. And yeah, if that means eating nothing but cornflakes for four days straight, do that. It works for you. You need to listen to your inner voice at that point and not what all these magazines and TV shows tell you you should do to recharge. Yeah. It's about how to get you back to, to not where you were, but to a state of being okay enough to then start plotting out that route back. Because it, it is a journey. It's not a single step. And you, you've almost got to think of it a little bit like a, a car that started to break down. You know, you, you need to work out exactly how many repairs it needs to get back on the road. Um, or having a, a smartphone where you've got too much too much use yes. on it, the memory's overloaded, you need to start clearing some of those files to get back to a position where it can run at the same speed again. Mm. It, it is all about what works for the individual. And that does mean for a couple of days, weeks, maybe even months, being quite selfish and saying, no, I, d I don't care what I agreed to do before this happened. I need this time to do what I need to do and being supported by the people who love and care for you because you need to feel safe enough to be able to say, no, I'm sorry, I, I know I RSVP'd to that wedding a year ago, but actually I can't do it. I can't do yeah. that much peopling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gosh. That's a very hard thing to do, though. I, I'm, I'm, I'm putting hard. myself in, in yeah. the sho those shoes and thinking, to say, I know I said I would do this, like to let people down feels really hard. But you've, you've got to reverse the thinking and go, you're not letting people down. You are prioritising your own health and mental health 
over someone else's priority. Because this is, this is actually, great for me, Helen. Yeah. This is like therapy now, you guys. This is but great. it is you are you are no good to that person. You're right. If you show up to that event and have an even worse mental health crisis there, yeah. because you're not in a state where you're comfortable enough to be able to to perform that role that you would want yeah. to do. Yeah, I really hear that, Chris. For you, you you're out there working now. What what was it? What were the what were the sort of strategies or anything that you did around that time to kind of lift yourself out of that 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 burnout place? How what did you do? Um, so it depended how how burnt out I was. Um, I could be withdrawing back into my house for a while, back where things are familiar, and there are no surprises. It, it's reading familiar books or watching familiar films. Marvel films are great for that. And trying to put myself back together again so that I can, and then exposing myself in, in little stages back out into normal life again. Yeah, those small steps. Thank you, Chris. And, and Lee, are we losing uh, members of our workforce because of autistic burnout then? Is that something that you see working at Autocon? I would certainly think people would be at risk. I mean, I can't speak to, to the numbers or statistics of people that are being lost, but, you know, there's an, we, I think it's been a clear theme on all of these podcasts is there's incredible untapped talent and potential out there. And, you know, as Chris mentioned earlier, there's maybe these gaps in his CV, for for example. And, you know, it's it's about creating an environment where people can can apply for a job like that, to to know that they're going to be supported, that their well-being will be taken into into account. You know, a lot of people will will burn out. And then perhaps, you know, it's that time of recovery. It's not always a, a swift thing, for example. So people could be out of work for weeks, months, years, you know, and, and think of tech, for example, things move on so quickly and then people can find their skills out of date and then they can be sort of in a, in a really difficult position. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that are, are being missed and, you know, for businesses as well, people are then going on long-term sick and, and leave and perhaps things aren't being put into place to, to support that person back to work. It's more about giving the person, you know, perhaps sick leave, sick money, for example, as opposed to, okay, we've heard that there's a problem you're recovering what can we do to make sure that you can return to work eventually and it to be a safe and welcoming environment and we're seeing uh, we're certainly seeing a lot of that kind of anecdotally from from my experience in the the past decade in this field that, that that's very positive I, i'm just wondering as you're speaking there the impact uh positively and negatively perhaps but mainly positively of the pandemic in regard to autistic burnout helen what 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 difference has covid made to or not covid but the pandemic mm. and us all having different kinds of working environments does has that helped do you think for some people, it's definitely helped. Um, the move towards working from home has, has been an absolute bonus to, to a lot of autistic people, um, particularly in that initial first year where everyone was pretty much told yes. to work from home if you could, because it allowed you to have that control of your, your sensory environment. It also reduced the, the stress of a commute for a lot of people. But equally, that that's only applicable to those of us that were lucky enough to work in office-based jobs that could go from home. Mm. For some people, particularly those who were on the front line or working in, in services that had to keep going during COVID, burnout actually got worse because not only 
had they got all the stresses of the job before, you've then potentially got PPE, you've got all the, the smells of antiseptic hand wipes and anti-back, you've got all the stress of worrying about catching COVID on top of everything else that was already going on. So for some people, we were very lucky and things got a lot easier. For others, they, they had it the other way and things actually got really exponentially worse for them because of the, the stress and pressure. Yeah, I really hear that. Chris, what, what difference did the pandemic make for your working life? And did it, did it was it better or worse during the pandemic? It's been kind of a mixture of both. So I'm lucky. I work in IT, so I'm as productive at my dining room table as I was in the office. But as I say, I, I have control of my environment here. I don't have the commute. So those have all been positives for me. It's also easier for me to go and have a nap in the afternoon if I need to. Yeah, there's nothing like a nap. <laughs> Definitely, it's what lunch hours are for. Normalise the nap. Yeah, I do but like that. On the other side, I've now come to hate Teams and Zoom and having meetings with people where there are only little little faces on a screen. Yeah. Body language is much harder to read, so I end up doing more processing for that. And having six conversations all going on at the same time with people trying to get my attention, it's... Those are some of the downsides of, of working from home. Yeah, I really, I absolutely completely agree with you on on all of that yes zooms and teams and all of that is it's a nightmare uh and and lee what 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 would you say from your your position as a consultant at autocon what what have you seen I think it very much depends on the person. Like, you know, obviously, as, as Helen articulated, one of the, like, the huge benefit um, has been the embrace of sort of hybrid and the working from home model um, these past few years. I mean, in my previous role, I remembered putting that in as like a, an accommodation request for people and you would have just got laughed away or that person would have been immediately knocked off the, the candidates list. So, you know, that's been incredible to see that sort of normalised, um, which has been great. You know, it's, it's it's as Chris mentioned, it's a huge benefit to, for people's home environment, you know, not having to worry about the daily commutes. But, you know, to also add some of the, the perhaps drawbacks to kind of working from home, it's, you know, it, it's presented challenges, I think, on a kind of, you know, mental health level to an extent. You know, people aren't maybe getting the opportunities to develop relationships with coworkers or are maybe struggling to have that kind of clear boundary between work and personal lives too. I mean, people might be working in and out of the same location all day. And, you know, I often have to kind of manage people's sort of expectation and anxiety about just waiting for an email. You know, what might have been a, a simple query to a person you're sat next to has become a Teams message or an email that you're maybe waiting hours for and you're just wondering maybe sitting and waiting you know and, and to tie into something I think Chris said earlier on I think it was him that you know people can get you know really focused on their work but that can also be perhaps a negative as well you know hyper focus while working in isolation can be very difficult as you might not be taking those maybe regular breaks or maybe not even having that person next to you going, oh, do you want to go grab some lunch? Or, you know, breaking things up with a conversation. And all of that, again, can have that cumulative impact on people's well-being and ultimately kind of burnout for others. Yeah, it's balance, isn't it? Well, I guess we're talking about here. Helen, if we actually for all, all of you, we'll go to Helen first, but blue sky thinking, you know, if we're thinking about the future and what would the ideal situation be to try to limit autistic burnout as much as we can? Helen, what are the components we need to put in place to make that happen? Oh, I mean, it's it's so individual because we're talking 
about so many different types of work here. Um, it's very easy to get trapped into the thinking about the nine to five office job when we talk about the workplace. But there are so many different types of employment. Um, you know, we, we've got to acknowledge the fact that burnout can still happen if you're self-employed because there's all that extra Good pressure point. of having to find work and then having to process it and, and, and do and everything do that comes with and, it. Yeah, things exactly. that you may not be, may not be your strengths. <laughs> so I think the, the key thing is to really know yourself know your early warning signs. Um, that's where I think special interests are actually an incredibly powerful tool, not just because they give us that break, but I know when I'm starting to get really stressed because I lose interest in my special interest. Yes. And that, that disaffected kind of, I can't really be bothered, seeps into my personal life. And suddenly I'm not going to that rugby match I had a ticket to because I I just I'm too tired. Yeah. And that that to me is a big red flag to go, hang on a minute, I need I need to do something now. This is Helen Ellison rugby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> exactly. You, you, so knowing myself the way I do, I can see that red flag. But for a lot of autistic people, they they maybe need someone they trust to be the person to go, hang on, this isn't you. There's something that thing that normally makes you really excited, the thing that you get out of bed for at the weekend, isn't working. Why? What's what's happened? Has something happened with that special interest that means you're disaffected from it? Or sure. is it just you don't have the energy, which is actually symptomatic of the, the burnout process starting? So having people around you, not necessarily physically around you, because a lot of this support can come from online, you know, people who suddenly go, oh, hang on a minute, you're, you're not as active online as you normally are. Or the things you're saying are a lot more cynical and jaded than they used to be. But just having someone you trust who can go, this is, this is starting to alarm me a little bit. What do we need to do to support you? I mean, that, that's absolutely invaluable, having someone like that. Helen, that's such a good point. And I, I just want to draw out of that, that kind of lethargy of thought mm -hmm. I think I think so often when we think about burnout or we think about uh, us kind of checking out from the day-to-day -day life we think of it as being oh I'm super depressed or I'm super sad or super angry but actually a kind of nothing feeling that lethargy about life that's often a sign isn't it as much Absolutely. as the kind of depression or anger yeah I, I'm really hearing that um Chris what about for you if you're blue sky thinking what would what would work look like for you how what would it if you were to have your perfect environment that w might help you to avoid that burnout what would it look like I, I think I'm getting much closer to it um before I'd never survived for more than 18 months in a role but I've now been working with Autocon for the last three years. Yay. And I've been working throughout the pandemic. And I've had one day off sick in the last three years. So that's that's like living walking proof, isn't it? Yeah, because because those adjustments are, are being... And you're aware of what it is that you need. I guess some of that is our own self-awareness, right? Yes, awareness of yourself. I can, I'm much more aware of the earlier stages of burnout. So for me, it does come down to that. My thinking slows down. I become more and more focused on an individual task. And I can feel the edges of my vision going gray. Yeah. And those are all warning signs that 
I need to be aware of what I am doing. Yeah. This really draws into this podcast. I do want to just mention this because I think it's such a, a great example, the way that, that you guys are speaking about this, that when someone says, what is it that you need? I always think, oh my gosh, or what does your child need? I'm like, hang on a minute, now someone's listening to me. I've got to say something. And, and you don't always know what you need. Uh, and I guess that's part of learning and growing, growing older and being in different environments, that we learn what it is that we need. We learn what we don't like. Oh, that doesn't work. And this thing does work. Uh, but that is, it's on us, isn't it, as individuals to work out what those things are. And people can help us to find those things. But ultimately, no one is just going to walk into a room and go, oh, I can tell you what you need. I'll provide it all for you. We have to we have to not just learn how to speak up, which is hard enough as it is, but actually know what it is we're meant to be saying. And too often... We ask someone what they need at a bad moment when they're in crisis, when they're struggling. Yes. Actually, the question you need to ask is when someone is happy and content and satisfied, what's working now so we can replicate it again later? Yeah. Go back seven steps and find out. Yeah. Uh, well, we have this lovely, the person rarely falls where they trip. Yes. You know, we look at where someone falls and we forget actually the trip happened a few steps back <laughs> we just looked at where they landed and uh, it's the trip stuff that we need to get get a, a handle on uh, lee for, for you if we're thinking blue sky thinking what would the ideal environment be when you're you're working with different autistic people what 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 is what are you noticing that's kind of repeating like actually they they all seem to be saying a bit of this or less of that i think i would go beyond workplaces really you know we, we've, i think we've highlighted today it can impact anyone and, and everyone and i think we need to almost change our, things on a sort of societal level i mean we need to create like a society kind of workplaces and a culture that kind of values sort of individuals and gives them like the understanding and help they need as we've kind of discussed at those sort of like those earliest stages to to avoid kind of reaching burnout and i mean it's not to the advantage of the employer or services or the state and beyond to kind of have all their staff and kind of people burning out. I mean, we're kind of, even if we're just talking on a financial level alone, if we can sort of help and invest in, in people's well-beings at the most earliest stages, you know, things within workplaces, you know, job coaches, HR support, you know, all of these things, you know, we can kind of prevent that. And it's to everyone's kind of benefit. You know, it's often you probably get a accused in jobs like this of oh you know it's pain we want this the dream scenario and so on but you know if I'm talking on a very kind of financial level if I was to make that appeal of like why would you not invest in supporting the well-being of your staff it will help everyone in our society and, and workplaces and you know that's something that we can all kind of hope for and as I say if we can lead to examples like Chris for example so you know if, if you invest in the right support you know, it might be that someone just has one day off and, you know, when that they need that, it's there and so on. So I think it's it's about investing at the right level for, for people and throughout. I'm thinking there may be people that are listening today that realise as they're listening, oh my gosh, I this is exactly where I'm at right now. I'm in autistic burnout. Uh, where is there for these guys to turn to? What, who? Where is the help out there? Or is there help out there? I guess I'm directing that at Helen. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, the best support there is out there is peer support. It's it's talking to other autistic people who really know what it's like to, to live that experience. Um, there is various sort of support out there in terms of 
getting um, access to work support, workplace assessments, if your employer buys into it. And they, they have to buy in culturally as well as putting the, the money up for some of these support things. Because if they're just going to think it's it's just an excuse, yeah. it's just something that they've yeah. got to do to tick a box, it's not going to be as successful. But true peer support from other autistic people is, is absolutely invaluable because you know you can trust what you're getting from from people. You know, you can turn to an autistic person online and, and ask them, what would you do in this situation? And you will get the God's honest truth. Mm-hmm. And it, it will maybe not be necessarily directly applicable to your circumstance, but you will learn something from it. And it, it might be those moments where you kind of go, oh, okay, that's why I'm drinking a glass of wine every night when I get home from work. That's why I'm doing that. That's why I'm not interested in that anymore. And you can start to learn those those signs yourself. Yes. Um, but yeah, talking to someone that has been through it is is really, really useful. But from the, the sort of the more professional help point of view, it's it's absolutely looking at the the well-being kind of initiatives that are out there for the workplace, making use of like employee assistance programs. Quite a lot of workplaces will have a phone number um, or hopefully in a more autistic friendly way, an email that you can contact someone for some confidential advice. Um, there are lots of different helplines out there for generic ad- advice if you feel like you're really struggling. It doesn't have to be autistic specific. Um, you know, it might be a case of just just phoning a mental health charity or making contact with someone at a mental health charity or, or organisation to say, okay, you're maybe not specialists in autistic burnout, but you've got a good idea about general burnout, about being overloaded, about the world feeling too much. Mm-hmm. So what do you advise? And at the end of the day, if you really, really struggle with everything else, get a dog or a cat is my advice. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is always the the pets. Yes, of course. Uh, I love that, I, and I, I and of course, absolutely. I, I'm laughing as I'm saying that, and so are you. But that's almost. It is true. It's not even almost true. It's true yeah. for a lot of people. There's, Getting there's that pet is a really huge amount of therapeutic. Yeah, good, absolutely. From a pet. I see that in my house with all the tarantulas and dogs and <laughs> geckos and what have you that now parade my house. Um, but I, I also like just pointing out there, uh, Helen. Just you've mentioned about the workplace. You did that really well. The different things that that are available there and professional mental health charities, third sector. We know it's there, but really. Really, we know that some of those services are pushed to the limit. Finding like-minded people, I think, has to be one of the most valuable resources. We need to be putting our time and energy into some of those. You know, I run a support group, and I know that that group carries some people through those various different crises. But the support groups, Autistic people speaking to it. Other autistic people, those community uh, situations can be so very helpful. Well, guys, thank you so much. That's all we've got time for today. Helen Ellis, thank you very much. Lee Hutchinson and Chris Lever, you've been great. Thank 
you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Autism in Conversation with Auticon. If you'd like to know more about the podcast, would be interested in applying for a job as an Auticon consultant, or would like further information about how Auticon can help support your business, please visit auticon.co.uk. This episode was recorded in September 2022. Recording and production was at Strathmore Studios in Clerkenwell, London. It was engineered and edited by Billy Godfrey and music was by The Lethargies. That's all from us this time. 